Welcome to Behind the Curtain, L.A. Opera's podcast series in which we look deeply at the creative process and explore opera's enduring themes and power to move us. Hi, this is Josh Winograd. I'm the Senior Director of Artistic Programs at L.A. Opera, and as part of that, I'm also the director of the Domingo Colburnstein Young Artist Program. I'm here today to have a conversation with two of our young artists, but before that, I wanted to tell those of you not familiar with the Young Artist Program a little bit about it. It is a two to three year paid residency for singers that we believe are of uh, exceptional quality and, and capable of international stature. And it was founded by Placido Domingo, our general director. It is now currently in its 13th season. And young artists are singers really on the transition between an academic career and um, a professional one. And we find them from every corner of the world through various endeavors and efforts, such as auditions and competitions and performances that we hear. And we have them in residency here for two or three years, um, which is basically a bifurcated training experience that is half in a classroom setting and studio and half on stage. And so that's, you know, essentially what it is. We hope that by the time a young artist is done with us, they are on the road to um, a real viable career as an opera singer. And I am with two of them right now that we very much believe are on that path. We have a third year artist, Leave Redpath, soprano, and we have first year artist, Michael Hawk, who is a baritone. Um, so I thought we would start with each of you and Leave. you can go first since you're the senior most young artist in the room. <laughs> if we could just start a little bit with your background, your story, you can, you can be in as much detail as you would like to share. All right. Well, um, I would start uh, by saying that we're all from, we're from all over the world in our group, which I think is a really amazing opportunity for all of us to come together and, and kind of see a very global representation of talent, which is, is wonderful. So I am from uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota originally, and that's where I grew up. I started out singing opera in a youth program, uh, much like the one here at LA Opera, uh, that was put on by Minnesota Opera. And I started that when I was about 13 years old. And by 14 or 15, I thought, this is what I'd like to do. Um, I then went to my undergrad at Harvard University as kind of a an alternative method of, of learning that I actually really enjoyed. I studied English literature there, but I did a ton of opera extracurricularly. Um, I did three or four operas every year. And then I uh, had kind of made a promise to myself um, that I would do my very best to get into the best graduate school I, I could get into for an actual vocal degree. So I then went, uh, was lucky enough to go to Juilliard. Um, I was a Kovner fellow there for the first year of that very special fellowship. I, it's been kind of a dream. I immediately, after my two years with that, uh, joined this program, and here I am in my third year. And um, I've gotten to sing really great things on the stage. I've gotten to cover really great things on the stage. And um, I've just, I've really learned an immense amount about how to sing, how to be on stage, um, what is the business like, and kind of how can you contextualize, how can I contextualize myself uh, within kind of what the real landscape looks like? Well, you said something interesting that I want to ask you about, which is that you 
got interested in opera or learned about it through the youth program in um, Minneapolis. And my question for you is, how did you go to that first day? I mean, how did that happen? Were your parents classical music fans? Did they find the opportunity for you? Did a friend tell you? You know, because the leap from being um, in middle school to going to an opera <laughs> youth program requires some sort drastic. of catalyst. Yes. And I'm wondering what that was for you. Well, you know, I, I always think it's funny to try to imagine what kind of was my brain and personality thinking at that time. I think that what I understood being a very Minnesotan person is that, you know, there's a big choral tradition where I'm from and, and everybody sings in choir and it's very um, democratic in that way. And I remember growing up and playing the piano and singing and always thinking, well, I mean, I sing. Everybody sings though, right? Everybody. So I was always in these choirs and my mom sat me down and she said, you know, my mom is the real, is the music lover of my, at least of my parents um, and has made sure that my brother and I both have had um, great lives in music and education in music. Uh, she thought, gosh, I love opera and I grew up taking voice lessons and, and doing similar things. And, and I think my daughter is pretty good at this. I think she would enjoy it. So I remember kind of kicking and screaming slightly to that first <laughs> kind of rehearsal thinking, well, you know, all of the kids in my middle school, they just want to sing musical theater. And, and that's what I want to do too. And I really knew like most, nothing about it. Um, but pretty much the second I, I joined that program, it had this amazing, charismatic, one-of-a-kind kind of educator running it, who ended up uh, being my also my voice teacher, who took very good care of me. And um, as a young singer, I think he really shepherded me and made sure that, you know, I kept the natural habits that I had, That and he didn't try to mess me up, but he just used kind of a, a gentle guidance for me, which was kind of very integral, I think. Too. I think that's also interesting because pianists and violinists and even dancers, you know, by the time they're 13, oh, they 14, they've been involved in what they're doing for, mm -hmm. you know, five, six years. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so I think that's a common thing that that singers kind mm -hmm. of discover it in their teen years, which yes. for, for for other classical musicians would be considered late. But that's just mm -hmm. when we do it. And And I find it fascinating to think back and to think that I was not going to to know by 14, weirdly actually, after finishing a production of doing Hansel and Gretel with a chamber orchestra, that's when I said, oh, I did it. Maybe I want to do this forever. Um, well, how ironic that this year at exactly. LA Opera, you sang Gretel on it, our main stage. Exactly. Sorry. Didn't really complete that thought. Um, <laughs> but then to know that early, before our voices really mature and change, that was an interesting place for me to be at as a person to know, wow, I'd really love to do this career, but I know that my voice has 10 years until it's going to be whatever it might end up being as an operatic adult singer. So then that's part of what led me, I think, to having a different uh, bachelor's degree mm. is that I thought, wow, I have a lot, the luxury of time that yeah. a dancer or right. an instrumentalist would never have. They just kind of have to go. Right. And I'm um, sure, especially, you know, that in English literature, you said yeah. degree from Harvard that you call upon it a lot in, exactly. a, in, in different ways, character study, exactly. you know, reference. And that's what I, I mean, I think we're so lucky. And I think, I think all artists are very lucky that it's kind of like art is as big as we want to make it. And, and we can draw upon so many different things uh, from every different, every culture, every language, every kind of storytelling that it's all somewhat applicable. And so I'm, I'm really glad I took that little detour. I had a, a gut instinct that that would be helpful to me in, in storytelling and all that stuff. Great. Great. Yeah. So um, Michael, tell us your story. Well, 
Uh, I remember music, uh, the first time I remember thinking about music, uh, was just riding in the back of my dad's truck on Sundays. We would all take rides as family. And I remember singing along to Johnny Cash and some of his like comedy records, like old comedy records, like Ray Stevens and uh, comedians that used to sing along with their acts. And um, I remember really being drawn to Johnny Cash's voice even though I was like a soprano at the time. So like trying to sing <laughs> you really knew. low, <laughs> like not really happening. And then I actually got involved with a children's chorus, uh, Chautauqua Children's Chorale. We auditioned through Fredonia Elementary School and it was all- This, is, this is extreme East, uh, Western New York State, right? Yes, Western <laughs> New York State, sorry. Uh, right. From Fredonia, New York, mm -hmm. uh, about um, an hour south of Buffalo. And we sang Happy Birthday, and I remember then getting invited to audition again and uh, sing My Country, Tis of Thee, you know, a little <laughs> bit harder. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and uh, that was a really fun experience for me because it was my first kind of social thing because I wasn't really big into sports and wasn't the best athlete. So it was a time for me to socialize. And then we actually started doing operas, like children's choruses. My first was a street urchin in La Boheme at the Chautauqua Institute because they needed it for their program. And and then I did uh, children's chorus in Carmen at SUNY Fredonia. And and then also my last children's chorus was Hans and Gretel. I was the <laughs> tallest gingerbread boy. That, <laughs> for, yeah, for those listening, I'm six foot five. So. It's a tall gingerbread boy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and my voice changed and it was, wasn't one that's typical of a lower voice, it was extremely gradual. So I kind of became an alto and was an alto until 10th grade, which made it very hard to find dates. Um, <laughs> so, and it kind of went, went down, but as it's happening, you know, then you become really useful in musical theater because you have a strange instrument that they can kind of cast hard to find roles. And uh, there's actually a, an educational awards program for the Western New York region. It's called the Kenny Awards and it's run out of Shea's Performing Arts Center. And that's, I actually got a, a award for playing Mr. Mushnick in Little Shop of Horrors. Mm -hmm. So it was like best supporting actor. And that kind of gave me the courage to even think, well, maybe, maybe I have something to say with this. You know, maybe it's not just in the context of a choir. And then I got to sing Nam Pyeon Dry, I think, when I was from Leonardo de Figaro. And, when I was a junior in high school and I thought, you know, I really would like to try this. I started studying with a friend of my father's at SUNY Fredonia, Danny Haas. I know him. So yeah, he started, my dad was working on his house and he said, you know, my, my son would really like to have some voice lessons. Would you want to do that? And he goes, well, you know, I have a full load, but I, yeah, I think I'll, I'll do that. And it was a, a favor for my father, but I had such a tight relationship with Dan that he really took the time, just like Leave is saying, to allow my voice to progress as it as it was happening. There was never any feeling that I had that I was being pushed in any direction. And I was lucky because I was saving money uh, at SUNY Fredonia and maybe not going to an expensive undergrad, I got a lot of chances to do summer programs. And that was when I really found different connections and I eventually found connections from CCC, C, CCM, sorry with Donna Lowy and she told me about the program at Rice and that's kind of how I met Stephen King, our current voice teacher. And I mean, that that's just invaluable 
person to know. So after SUNY Fredonia, you spent two years getting a master's in Houston yes. with Stephen King. Yes, at Rice University. Sorry. Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> didn't complete that and thought as well. Is. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no. And no, and then and then um, we got you in the program straight after graduating yeah. um, from Rice. So it, it's interesting. Um, I think that these both of these stories really, while they're very different, they both highlight a few things that tend to be really common, which is this kind of coming into this in your teen years. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing is the pursuit of advanced degrees in an effort to really just bide time <laughs> because yeah. because the vocal mechanism is nowhere near mature enough to be demanded mm -hmm. from um, on a professional level, you know, at, at those ages. So so you I think you typically find people getting, you know, as many degrees as they can afford yeah. just to bide the time. And if you can if you can withstand your family asking what are you doing with your time, then you're good. <laughs> um, well that's an interesting that's I, I hadn't I hadn't anticipated this being my next question, but but I but I think I know the answer from from Leave because she said her mother was so interested in music. But what are your parents thoughts about you being opera singers? I mean, I, I wonder if that's the kind of thing that, you know, I have two kids right now, and it's not dawning on me that they might be <laughs> opera singers. You know, even though that's not the right away. <laughs> so, what's that? What? What is? Uh, uh, do they get uh, a kick out of it? So, I think that yes, your assumption is correct. I am really lucky that I have a family that's completely supportive. My mom, I think, is like kind of over the moon that this is my my job actually, and I think I think it's really fun for her to follow what I'm doing, and, and she really is like a, a great lover of music. So whenever she can, she's at a performance. And um, and my, my dad actually, one thing that I found very heartening about my dad is that he, that my whole family went to St. Olaf Choir College except for me. And um, he was on the rugby team and things like that in college <laughs> and not so much in the choir or ever played an instrument, but my father, five years ago or, or maybe four, decided to join the men's chorus of um, the, our high school choir. They have like a dad's and son's chorus. And my dad, who's older, uh, he, uh, he joined and he learned to kind of read music and he sings a little bit. And I think it's really awesome that he was, he spent his whole, you know, parenthood watching my brother and I do this stuff and my mom. And he's like, well, Sure, maybe maybe I'll do it. Why yeah. not? So I think they're really supportive. That's also an interesting an interesting story that you sometimes hear, which is that because it's such a unique industry and a mm -hmm. unique world that that is kind of unfamiliar to a lot of people, it ends up bringing entire families yes. into the circle in an unexpected way. I mean, yes. when I think of all the different places that my parents and brother traveled to see the places that they wouldn't have gone because yeah. I happened to be singing there at the exactly. time. Exactly. Um, you just begin to realize that, you know, so many people within our communities are sucked into it yes. because it's a fairly all-consuming, yes. Which unique, is so, it's yeah. so great. And I think we're also also lucky that opera companies often are based in like really wonderful cities or places. And I know that my family's always really excited to come see me wherever I'm performing because it's like a chance to explore a new place they've never been and and also bonus to see their daughter. But right. um, it's like kind of a perfect arrangement. And Michael, I remember um, I had one summer where I was singing um, at Chautauqua Institute mm -hmm. and my parents came there and they spent, you know, a week in that magical, incredible yeah. place. Yeah. Um, but so since that goes back to your experience, what what's what's your family's involvement? I mean, my mom always says that she's a world traveler now because <laughs> of my of my singing. You know, we with that children's choir, we went to Hawaii and Alaska and 
for me that was like huge because I was mm -hmm. in sixth grade and it was so exciting and she she almost comes to every single one and my father tr comes to as many as he can unfortunately a lot of those performances of, yeah, with summer opera companies, he can't come to because that's a busy season for a carpenter. <laughs> but, you know, they both come to as many as they can. And I think one of the most interesting things is now when I go to my mom's uh, minivan, it's always tuned to the Sirius XM Met mm. opera radio. <laughs> and she'll she'll tell, you know, this sounds more like Mozart or and then she was talking about Fox the other day oh, wow. when I was home for Christmas. She goes, you know, his voice seems a little light for this. And I was like, absolutely. <laughs> you know what? That's and that's really funny. And I think that's one of the cool things. It's almost a bonding experience yeah. to yeah. to see that they're making an effort and really trying to get to know this cool thing that you're a part of. And right. So um, um, I'd love to talk a little bit now, take the conversation to... Um, the program here. Um, and I'll start with Michael because um, being that you just finished you, the first half of your first year, um, I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what is the function of Young Artist Program within your career pursuits? What What led you to, other than the fact that it's the thing people always want to do when they get their master's degree, they want to go into your program. Right. But what is, what is, what do you hope it is for you now that you're at the beginning of it? Well, I definitely, there was a, a big shift for me in the idea that the difference between being a student and being an artist, you know, I think we always aspire to be artists. We always aspire to, you know, find success with what we're doing. But the fact that the ownership really becomes our own. We have to decide, make decisions. We have to, uh, we have to spend a lot more time uh, thinking things out, but also trusting ourselves. Uh, the best thing that I think this is for me is I, I'm a person that maybe hasn't done as many uh, competitions as other people. I mean, we, me and Leave met doing the Houston competition, but it's exposure. And it's an opportunity to work and hone these skills that maybe in in one way, one artist might need more time with their language or someone might need more stage time because they didn't get that much at their grad school. I think the fact that a young artist program can be molded around the singer is super important. And that's what I've found uh, about this program is yeah. it's it's unique for each person. Every person has their own goals and their own things that they're figuring out. Yeah, and it almost changes every week, you know. And Somebody... I think that that's that's probably a really important distinction between a student and a professional is that a student in a proper curriculum at at, at a at a school might not have the flexibility to tweak requirements and credits <clears> and <throat> and and all of these things because they're you know presumably set by the university of, you know, f and, and, and not terribly flexible case by case. Um, whereas we feel at this young artist program, and, and, and I think most young artist programs do that we're able really to tailor the experience to what you might exactly specifically need to get from here to three years from now successfully. Yeah. Um, so what are the things that you need? <laughs> I, I mean, I think one of the best resources we have here is we have language tutoring and I've been trying to take as much advantage of that as possible because an artist can be only as expressive as much as he or she understands the language 
mm. that they're speaking or singing in. And I think that's that's the root of what I'm trying to reach is I've spent a lot of time with, with Stephen King and taken a lot of time of technique and uh, grad school was a very safe place for that where it could really hone. And But now I think as an artist, I would like to focus a lot more on expression. And I think that's how I've been tackling a lot of these coachings and sessions is how can I clearly express in the scope of an opera house uh, that which I want to for each character. Yeah. You know? And so leave um, now that you're in the final portion of your time in the young artist program, um, you'll, you'll be, uh, it's not a degree program. So the, the word graduate, <laughs> do I get my not, certificate? Yeah, you don't graduate, <laughs> but, but your residency will, will be over um, um, in, in May. Um, so yours is more a question of reflection as compared mm -hmm. to looking forward. What, what was it, what was, you know, other than telling me exactly everything I want to hear, that it was amazing. <laughs> um, what was this three-year program for you? What was your trajectory? Yeah. Well, one thing Michael mentioned that is something I think is special about this program, and I don't even really know how one would construct something deliberately this way, but it's really beautiful that it's happened. Every year, I feel like new people have come into the program who as we talked about, everybody has a different goal and a different place that they're at and a different place that they're going to go to. Um, and yet I feel that I can grow so much with the people around me and kind of learn from whatever it is they're experiencing and, um, and working on. And uh, we have such, we have really unique people here, um, both vocally and as artists. And that's something that I find very nourishing for whatever it is I need to to do and I feel that every time I go to a group class or anything I get a new perspective like I can really uh, relate to whatever somebody else is is working on and how they're seeing it I found that just deeply important and something that I really never got anywhere else um, and I think that part of that is about people becoming artists and people being adults and professionals in what they're doing and not always questioning every single choice they make, but, but just trying, trying it and then kind of getting feedback. And then we go back to the drawing board and we just, we just continue to try and, and accept that that's kind of what our whole job is going to be for the rest of our lives. And that that's should be the fun part. Yeah. Well, um, uh, you know, if I implied in any way in my statement before about um, anything kind of coming to an end as a chapter for leave, <laughs> I want to reiterate <laughs> that this is the very beginning of, of a career. So no, no, no. That. So 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 that kind of leads me to my next topic. So, you know, we've gone from your your history to your present. I'd love now to talk a little bit about your future. Um Leave. tell me a little bit about, you know, what you kind of want from a career in opera, what you envision. And I, I'm, I'm fine um, getting very specific. We could talk about roles. We could talk sure. about, you know, the kinds of characters mm -hmm. that interest you, the kinds of music that speaks mm -hmm. to you. I'm really interested to just kind of hear anything about, um, you know, what kind of career you mm -hmm. envision. I think something that I've found interesting and some of it is, is in speaking with you, Josh, um, is... Um, Another gift that I think I've been given with this these years at LA Opera is to know, to be able to kind of manifest all of, or a lot of, more of, the ideas that kind of percolate in my brain but aren't always immediately visible when I perform or in every project I take on and kind of learning how to make sure that, that all of those things 
have an immediacy to them. And um, I've learned that for me, that is kind of the name of the game from now on. And with that in mind, I think I look towards what I want to do with my career as kind of a game of, um, obviously, what does the industry want from me? But then also, how can I, what ways can I bend towards what I like and what I believe in and what is really satisfying for me. Um, and then there's the vocal component of, of, of what repertoire is suits me and also uh, suits not just my voice, but me as a person and kind of whatever my aesthetic is of something. And, and also how can I shift my aesthetic um, and how can I make... Um, I have such love for Strauss, and I, but I also have such love for bel canto and for Handel. And I don't think, you know, sometimes in this career path, it can seem like you're not allowed to, you have to specialize a little bit or something. But I really, my goal in my career is to make sure that I don't get too stuck in any one thing. Because for me, the, the life that I can bring to myself and what I do is through getting lots of different experiences. And that's kind of, I guess, my goal is to get to have a lot of wonderful musical experiences and, and uh, be as expressive as I can be. So tell me a, a little bit, speaking to that, um, what resonates with you about a role? I mean, I guess what I'm getting at is, can you be as satisfied with one of those notoriously beautiful scores that is also an equally notoriously kind of empty or strange story, which we all know those ones we're talking about. <laughs> they um, shall remain unnamed. <laughs> and then there are those other operas that are just such unbelievable, um, either historical or, or you know, um, expertly crafted libretti or plots that just didn't accomplish much musically, but those can be very gratifying experiences mm -hmm. too. What what kind of constitutes a role that speaks to you? This is where I, I feel a little, um, oh, I, where I feel lucky, is that I think that I have, in my throughout my educational experience, kind of diversified my interest level in various parts of what we do. And through my work with Dr. King, I have grown very interested in technique and very interested in like, what is the most beautiful sound that a human body can make? And how how does it function? And what what is inherently, what, why is bel canto repertoire inherently so beautiful? And I think that I am drawn to the bel canto repertoire because people come to that to have not just a, st a storyline kind of experience, but to have a sonic experience and not just... Um, sonic like, oh, well, this Milton Babbitt piece is strange, and that I've never heard anything like that before, but it's almost a kinetic, physical thing that happens when you hear a sound that is so true and um, well-produced sounds boring. But it's like something in whatever resonates in that person who's singing on stage, that can resonate in every single person in the audience if they're, if they're tuned in and really caring. Yeah. And so that's what I I can find that compelling and then channel that into whatever the story is, mm -hmm. if it's Lucia or if it's whatever. Um, but then, you know, there are other things like Midsummer Night's Dream by Britain that I think are also compositionally so brilliant that you can't help but want 
want to tell the audience not just that the Shakespeare is brilliant, but that the way that Britain understood the Shakespeare is so brilliant. And that just makes you so excited to tell that story, to yeah. say, oh my gosh, listen to this parody, this pastiche of what you know the lovers are is like this Puccini-esque music that mm. Britain happened to write. And then we've got the, every single group, those three groups has a totally different thing. And you hear that in the music and the words, which is, I think, what Shakespeare would have wanted. And it's yeah. so brilliant. Yeah. So I, I just, I basically get excited. It's hard to find something I'm not excited about. <laughs> that is good. That is good. Yeah. So you'll, you'll, you'll have a lot of projects that excite you. Michael, um, to going back to talk about your future a little bit, what, uh, you know, after these three years or two, two, three years are over for you, what, um, what do you envision for yourself? And I know that a lot, you're going to probably have a different answer two years from now. Yeah. Um, but what do you, right now, what do you envision? Like right now, I think one of the most interesting things about the time I've just spent, I mean, it's been like four or five months, has been finding out who I am, what my strengths are, and then exploring repertoire that just exploit those strengths, for lack of a better word. Um, uh, so who, definitely... are you, who are you and what are your strengths? Okay, well, <laughs> I'm definitely drawn to intensely passionate music, and I know that could be said for many things, but uh, the romantic, mid-romantic and late romantic is definitely a, a draw for me. But I've also, uh, this summer at Santa Fe, got the chance to cover the role of Robin Oppenheimer. And John Adams was never something I got to explore. But then I get to see and uh, see all these different things that he does with music and maybe learn a musical vocabulary that I'm not accustomed to. And I think that is the most exciting thing about my future is coming to a project with a completely open mind and uh, getting a chance to learn something about myself and how maybe I can bring something innately special to uh, something I might not be, you know, that comfortable in. Yeah. But um, I have to say, just even as a listener, obviously I'm drawn to the the music of composers like Verdi and, and Strauss and... Um, a lot of the French composers, I mean, Amelie's Thomas is something very beautiful. It's not at all like the Shakespeare, um, because they lift Hamlet up at the end and <laughs> announce him as the new king instead of everyone dying. <laughs> but, uh... Isn't it great when they change when they right, change yeah, endings to happy endings? Make Hamlet a happy it's ending. It's okay. I'll I'll still die. It's fine. Right. Right. Well, Ophelia yeah. Ophelia will take still care dies. of the tragedy yeah. part. But um, that's something I look forward to in the future is hopefully getting a chance to maybe take repertoire that's not in the canon that's widely performed or mm. commonly performed. And tackling roles like that, I hope I get an opportunity to do yeah. something like that. Yeah, that 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 is a really gratifying thing. So I want to um, end this conversation with uh, having you answer just two questions, um, and I, I think they're simple enough. But I'd love to to, <laughs> to just. I hope I'm not putting you on the spot. I'd love to kind of find out <clears throat> two questions. One. What is a dream role for you that is a realistic dream role, you feel? <laughs> okay, fair. And and the second one is, what is a dream role that because of your voice, you'll never sing? Okay. okay. Good question. And why? Okay. Who wants to start? Would you like to? Or? Would you like me to? <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll start. Um, okay. 
Well, to be honest, one of my dream roles that I'll never sing is Robert Robert Oppenheimer. And now I'm messing oh. up the name too. <laughs> right, sorry, I messed it up for everybody. <laughs> yes, I better my heart is like one of I, I find it so moving that Aria. Um I've I've been obsessed for a very long time. <laughs> I guess well, I mean and, I'm putting and, it out there in the universe. Say, I can say very safely you will never sing it. Well, you know, at least fine. not the Adams. Maybe someone right. else yeah. can, sure, can write a, a soprano version of it. Yeah, but, great. Yeah. <laughs> um and then realistically, I'm gonna say two. Yeah. Say as many as you want. I think later in a number of years, I look forward hopefully to seeing Lulu. But uh, more immediately, I really love uh, Marie in Daughter of the Regiment. Great. Both very realistic. And yeah. what about what about them speaks to you? I love that Marie is a tomboy. <laughs> Surprising. <laughs> and um, and I love how visceral and immediate a character like Lulu is yeah. and kind of she she asks so many more questions of the audience than than your average character I think great and Michael so one that probably won't happen although I do have a dream of maybe singing the male version of it someday is Carmen <laughs> I I still okay. I'm putting it out there. I think See, there could be could be a universe. reverse cast. I'm just saying. <laughs> what what do you love so much about Carmen? I love her strength in a world that says that is used to saying that women can't have that kind of strength. There can't be that uh, into like much of an individual or something. I'm always drawn to strong women. So yay. Yeah. yeah. Um. <laughs> Uh, a role that is reasonable. Well, that's a that's a question, isn't it? I I, I would say uh, much later in my career, but I would love to tackle Scarpia. Oh, sure. Yeah, that would be something <laughs> that would be very fun. Yeah, I can I can see that. That would be a lot of fun. Well, listen, thank you both so much. I've really enjoyed sitting down and talking with you. Thank you. And uh, <laughs> and um, we all look forward to watching your astronomical careers. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to L.A. Opera's Behind the Curtain. Thanks, and see you at the opera. If you've enjoyed listening to L.A. Opera's Behind the Curtain, you'll want to make sure you don't miss an episode. Please subscribe and leave a rating or review on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you listen. Don't forget to share this with your friends on Twitter and Facebook, and we'll see you at the opera.